0: Good morning, everybody. I am Glenda Geek in Ocala, Florida.
2: And I'm Wendy Ying from Sarasota, Florida. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for April 4th, 2019. This episode is brought to you by the American Driving Society. Good morning, Horse World.
0: Well, welcome back to Horses in the Morning, everybody. The first Thursday of the month is always the Driving Thursday with Dr. Wendy Ying. And Dr. Ying is joining us today. We we For new listeners, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have special monthly episodes we do in Horses in the Morning. And then Monday, Wednesday, and Fridays, Jamie is here, and we're goofing off and having some fun. So we're going to have some fun today, though, because Wendy has lined up a million things. What's coming up on today's show? <laughs>
2: Okay, today we chat with Scott Compton of Gold Coast Greyhound Adoptions. Plus Reed Nagel, the uh the proud owner of the Black Prong Equestrian Center joins us to tell the us about the brand new that.
0: owner. Yes, the just, brand just bought new it. Yeah.
2: Uh, Katie Cadwell is here to train to share her Tremont training tip. And on the TCVM segment, we have Roger McFarland from Greenflower Botanicals to answer all your questions about CBD oil.
0: Boy, that's a hot topic right now, CBD oil. You're seeing it everywhere with people, horses, animals of all kinds. So yes. I'm glad you're addressing it. I'm sure that's been a request. So. Well, as usual, we have Kathleen back with us from the Carriage Association of America taking a look at Carriages 101. And this time, we're going back to the basics, aren't we?
4: We sure are. There's five basic things that we're looking for in a carriage. And this is if
0: if somebody, so if somebody wants to go buy their first carriage, they're looking at getting, because we were all there at one point. I know I I was, I had no idea what I was doing. I lived in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, which meant you went and bought an Amish Meadowbrook. That's (laughs) that's what everybody did in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, because that's what they made. So yes, yeah, but okay. So I'm interested in this buying your first carriage.
4: So in 19, or excuse me, 1896, John Phillipson who was a noted carriage maker said that there were five things that you were looking for and that still holds true today. And those are ease of motion, ease of getting in and out of the vehicle, ease and safety and turning, stability and durability. So when we're talking about ease of motion, the vehicle should be something that is easy for your horse to pull. It also needs to be something that you can get in and out of your truck and trailer if you're ever going to leave your property. So that's that's an important one. And I'm sure that that's something that if you've ever been to an auction and bought a carriage that doesn't fit in a truck and trailer, then you know that. Um, I know that we have cut down a trailer door before to get a carriage in. <laughs> so. Um, that was one of the getting, things that
0: we had to do when we bought this carriage. When I got my fry carrot or cart, we had to make sure it fit in the bed of the truck because that's how we were going to haul it.
4: Exactly. Yeah. And if if you have too short of a bed or something like that on your truck, then that can be a problem with the uh, shafts. So it's important to think about the ease of getting in and out as we all get a little bit older. This is very important because if your horse is um, perhaps not standing well or is having an issue that day, you want to be able to easily enter and exit the vehicle.
0: Okay, wait uh, a minute. This is where we which, stop, and Wendy gives her lecture. Go ahead.
4: Yes. No, I'm not going to give it. You've all heard
2: it before.
0: <laughs> well, no, this is new. Uh, we have this. You haven't given this lecture since we've been on oh. horses in the morning, so go ahead.
2: Okay, okay. Well, the reason why I don't like Meadowbrooks personally is that there's a kind of rear-entry Meadowbrook that's actually very difficult to get in and out of. But those are usually tend to be cheaper. So we all end up buying that for our first carriage. And usually with your first carriage, your horse isn't 100% dead broke to driving. And so I call it the death trap because... It's really hard to get out of when your horse is galloping away with you.
0: Well, that and what she's talking about is with the Meadowbrook carts, usually the seat goes up on a lot of them. And so the seat folds up, and that's how you get in. Well, if you have a disastrous situation going on, you have to fold up the seat, but then you're jumping out the back of the carriage. So uh, (laughs) nothing is going well at that point. You
2: know what else (laughs) happens a lot of times is the seat falls down and slams really loud, and then your horse spooks. (laughs) <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> you know, the one thing I did like about that Meadowbrook, though, is it had a glove compartment. I really liked the glove compartment.
4: Oh, the glove compartment. Yes. Good. Yeah. Well, they, they often have a coffee holder, cup holder, which is <laughs> I
0: put my own it's on. important to some people. <laughs> yeah. I put my own on. I got a bicycle one that holds the bicycle bottle, and that's what I put on my cart. And the bo- water bottles fit perfectly right in it, or a coffee cup.
4: Yes. So when we're talking about ease of getting in and out, one of the things that we need to talk about is balance. Because when we talk about that seat flopping down, that's often because when you get in to a Meadowbrook, that's a rear entry, it tips up a little bit. And that causes some problems. So we want to make sure that the vehicle, if we're doing a front entry, uh, which means that we enter in front of the wheels rather than behind the wheels, is balanced so that when we get in, doesn't put all of our weight on the horse's back all of a sudden. And so when you are looking at a carriage and you're at an auction or or someplace, you can pick the carriage up and you wanna hold a shaft in each hand. And ideally you can hold that with just one finger and it should be light enough to do that. If it's not, you need to look at adjusting the seats. A lot of times that they move over top of the axle And when you put somebody in that seat, the balance will change. And so if you're going, if you know that you're gonna go out and drive and it's always gonna be with your significant other, you both need to be in the carriage so that you can balance it appropriately to both of your weight, which means you need to have a friend help you balance it out. And that again, usually involves moving the seat on the axle just a little bit. And if you wanna try this, if your vehicle is balanced, but you want to see how it feels, just lean forward or backwards and you'll get that how how the weight changes on the back of your horse, um, and a well balanced vehicle is, is very much worth its money. Okay, so, so
0: so to so the shafts go through the little loops. What are they called? Mm-hmm.
4: The, the, Shaft
0: loops. Okay, there you go. Shaft I thought holders. they would for sure they would have a fancy old fashioned name. <laughs> uh, so they go through the little loops, and when I'm sitting in there, either with myself or with somebody else, should they be pushing up, pushing down, or just kind of floating in the middle?
4: Ideally, they're not floating. Okay. Usually, um, it does ha- happen that way sometimes, but there should be a little bit of pressure on the back pad, um, not a lot. Though, Which means pushing
0: down on the on the loop. Pushing down. Okay. Yes. Yeah.
4: You don't want them up. If your if your um, shafts are tipping up, particularly when you're getting in the vehicle, uh, you you're going to have a very bad ride. And potentially have some seasickness involved.
0: Yeah, you're, you're going to bounce a lot. Yeah. Yes.
4: So you want just a little bit of weight on the shafts to make sure that they stay where they are. And, and sometimes you use uh, the hold down straps, etc., on your harness to help with that. But you don't want a lot of weight on that back pad um, because otherwise your horse gets a, a sore back. They should be pulling with the breast collar and holding the carriage in place with the back pad. Um, and that, that again comes down to getting in and out of the vehicle and then just being safe while you're in it and getting the best ride for you and your horse. That is almost all carriage
2: almost all harness manufacturers make a replacement tug like that, that, Mm -hmm. um, has a little strip. it's called a Tilbury tug and it's for two wheel vehicles. So it kind of wraps around the shaft and holds it in position. Kind of like what you were saying, Kathleen, how you can use, if you have long enough, if you have a long enough, uh, over girth, you can wrap your your tug strap around and kind of hold it in place so you have less right. bouncing. For yeah, you that's and what we
0: do. We wrap it once around and then go back to the girth then at that point.
4: Right. Uh, yeah. And it's important to note that that's with a two-wheel vehicle. If you have a four-wheel vehicle, you don't have to worry about balance because it has four wheels. Yeah. Right. Um,
0: yeah, the shafts but, are just kind of there to mm-hmm. so the horse has something to attach to.
4: <laughs> Most people that first time... Get a two-wheel vehicle. So typically speaking, when we talk about um, f- your first carriage, we're talking about a two-wheel vehicle, so, which means that we don't really have to go into a lot of detail about turning uh, because a two-wheel vehicle just goes with the horse. However, if you're using a four-wheel vehicle, particularly an older vehicle, um, perhaps your grandparents' buggy or a surrey that you found, Make sure that it has rollers on the side of the vehicle because it's not a full cut under and the wheels can't turn underneath the vehicle. Which, and if that happens, so your wheels turn and there's all of a sudden the box of the carriage there, then you've got a problem and you can either break a wheel or break your carriage.
0: Okay, second (laughs) second lecture by Wendy. Go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Go ahead,
4: Wendy. Buy
2: cut under. (laughs) Buy cut under.
4: You either need the cut under, or you need to make sure that you have rollers on the side that move well. Yeah, the rollers are good.
2: That just looks like this little cylinder, and if you do jackknife your carriage, then at least the rollers give you a little bit of time to get
0: yourself out of correct or bail.
2: (laughs) don't bail. (laughs) (laughs) But without a cut under, without a cut under vehicle, like you have to think about it. Uh, Those non-cut under vehicles. They 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 use those in big wide open spaces or just going straight right. So don't think you're gonna like make a U-turn uh, on the a road. narrow road with yes. a non-cut under. Imagine like I would say most cut under vehicles. It's difficult to turn less than like thirty meters.
0: It's sort of like with well, my pickup t- truck meters is with my pickup general. truck. I need three lanes to make a U-turn. With my Kia, I need one.
4: Exactly. Right.
0: Yeah. Exactly. Yes. Yes.
4: Yes. And uh, it is it is something that still happens. I know that my parents were in a vehicle and it, it looked good and everything. And, and the person driving tried to make a turn on a road and, and they broke the wheel and dipped the vehicle over. So it does still happen. And that's something that used to happen back in the old days where you would have a vehicle issue. Um, so make sure you have rollers. They were a huge uh, safety feature when they came out and, and they're important to have if you don't have a full fifth wheel or a cut under. So, which brings us to stability. We don't have this problem so much these days, but we do want to keep all of our wheels on the ground for the most part. Really? Right, Glenn? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard stories, <clears throat> perhaps.
0: We used to go over, God, in my crazy young days when I didn't know any better and wasn't scared of anything, we'd take that meadow brook out, and I'd go trail riding with all the riders, and they'd be going over these logs, and I'd be flying over, and that pony would pull oh and jump over the log, and the carriage would go up in the air. So much fun when I was young and stupid.
4: <laughs> it was. We've all been there, and and, and we've all That's why I wear my moment. helmet when I go <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but most vehicles today don't have a huge safety issue uh, for stability. And particularly if you're looking at a four-wheel vehicle or a marathon vehicle, that's what they're built for. Um, and particularly the sporting vehicles is to make sure that they can go out there and, and go over some slightly rougher terrain. Now, when we do talk about stability, one of the things that you briefly will touch on uh, is wheels. Consider either wooden wheels or metal wheels, Don't go with bicycle wheels uh, because they can fold on you. And so that's the important thing. What do you mean they can fold? So a bike wheel is designed primarily to go straight. And if you turn on them a lot, sometimes they will literally just fold and do like a pancake type thing.
0: Okay.
4: Uh, And until I saw it happen, I didn't really believe it. And I, I watched somebody in a ring, which you would think they'd be okay. And they were going down the straightaway, right after a turn, and her wheel just folded in on itself. And fortunately, she was able to get out safely. But um, and her horse was fantastic. But it is something that can happen. So when we talk about stability, that's and that's something to be considered as your what type of wheels you get. Um, so we recommend wooden or um, metal wheels. All right. Cool. Which which also goes into that durability question because. Uh, Carriages in general are not something that we uh, get rid of a lot. We tend to keep them, and uh, so you want to make sure that when you purchase a vehicle, the welds are good. Um, We want to make sure that the wheels are solid, and when they're on the vehicle, if you're buying like a used vehicle, you want to just kind of give them a little bit of a shake, and you want to see if they wiggle, um, because they may need to be tightened. Um, If they squeak or something, they may need to have some maintenance done there. But those are some things that you look at when you're buying your first vehicle. Uh, There's a lot of different auctions out there. There's Pacific Overland out in Oregon. Troyer has one in Colorado. We talk about Martins all the time. They're on the East Coast of Pennsylvania. Uh, You can also go back to carriage manufacturers. If you are getting advice on Facebook... Be aware that some of those people that are responding are representatives for their particular carriage uh, company, which is not a problem because that's who they're representing, but you need to know that that's what they're doing. Um, so something to consider.
0: Very good. Well, where can people find out more information about carriages?
4: We are at caaonline.com. So
0: what's the product of the month that we're talking about this month?
4: Okay, product of the month is
2: my top seller of all herbal formulas that I use in the practice.
0: And, and that's And it marijuana. has a great
2: name. No, oh. it has a great name. It's called Body Sore.
0: <laughs> body Sore, okay.
2: Body Sore, so it's for your aches and pains. And one of the th- reasons I thought we should talk about that today is because we have Roger on talking about the CBD oil. Right. Which is also like great for your aches and pains. Coming up next, but yeah. bo- yeah. So body sore, um, is a traditional herbal formula that there, uh, it's a little bit different for animals than it is for people, but it, it's a common formula that you see in people too. It's for your general aches and pains for your, you know, ADR, you ain't doing right, right. With your minor aches and pains. Cause our horses are athletes. So just like you, if you're going to start an athletic program, you're going to have some aches and pains. It's not like you know, it's not automatically arthritis. You have some muscle aches and pains. And body sore is a great, safe way to control aches and pains without going straight for non steroidal anti inflammatories like bute and banamine, because those products are very good. I mean, I still do use bute and banamine in the practice for things like, you know, if I have a colic, of course I'm going to give it banamine, right? Or you know you can use bute on a short-term basis for some aches and pains. but if you want to do, but you know you always have the problem with uh, the you might have ulcers from non-steroidals. So this herbal formula body sore is like a great general anti-inflammatory for body pains, for musculoskeletal pain um, that you can use on a long-term basis. And it has very, uh, it has little to no side effects, and you can use it in horses and dogs. And I'm a vet, so take this with a grain of salt. You can use it in
0: people too. And where do they find it?
2: And you can find it at drwendying.com.
0: and search for
2: body sore.
0: Body sore. Very good. Thank you, Dr. Wendy. Speaking of your body, let's go to our next guest. <music>
2: Well, the number one question I keep getting from clients is, what is CBD oil and how can it help my pets? So I am happy that we have uh, Roger McFarland from Greenflower Botan- Botanicals to join us today to tell us how CBD oil works and how it can help your animals. So welcome, Roger.
3: Hey, thanks a lot, Dr. Ying. I appreciate uh, being on the show and everything you guys are are doing for Uh, Our little, our loved animals, members (laughs) of our family. (laughs) Yeah,
2: you know, um, here on the Horse Radio Network, not only do we as riders and drivers have aches and pains, but of course our animals have aches and pains. And um, I I think that people are so drawn to CBD oil lately because... um, they see the benefits that humans are getting and they do want to share that with their animals, but there's not a lot of information out there about using CBD oil and animals. So can you give us a little um, insight on that?
3: I can give you the best that I have, um, but you're really correct in that uh, there's a, a lot of need for more research, especially in the the area of uh, veterinary use of, of CBD. But, what we do know is that all mammals have this incredible thing called an endocannabinoid system, which um, seems uh, to have been made specifically for these cannabinoids to join in these receptors. And anyway, we find those receptors in, in nature, primarily uh, in the cannabis plant, where we find all these wonderful cannabinoids of which CBD is a part. and so. That, interestingly enough, interacts in this system that's in all mammals. And that, that system is really very pervasive and was discovered in the 1980s in Israel. And uh, it regulates and kind of dovetails in with your endocrine system and your immune system and your uh, central nervous system, so forth and so on. So if you've come across CBD, you've probably heard or read you know, it's good for this and this. It seems like it's good for everything. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I know initially that turned me off from it. Uh, right. Like how can it be good why, for everything? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it sounds like snake oil and most of us push away from it. I know I did in the beginning. But the real key to understanding it is um, the endocannabinoid system, how these cannabinoids react with that system, but also how that system as a whole creates a balance and really kind of works with almost every other system in your body to create balance and promote health and um, and vitality. So therefore, I take a little bit of CBD, I may have a headache, and my headache goes away, um, or my backache goes away, or my anxiety diminishes. And that's because of this overall effect that it has in the body's constant. Um, well, I'll just put it this way. You know the body's been created to heal itself. Right. and so it really just supports what the body wants to do,
2: yeah. You know it's very similar to our theory of Chinese medicine with the yin and the yang that has to stay in balance mm-hmm. for health. So, like when you talk about homeostasis in the body, if you have like like when you're saying you have a headache or a migraine, Well, maybe you have your blood pressure is too high, and that's what's causing the migraine. So, you need to, you don't want to take a drug that just lowers your blood pressure, which is how traditional pharmaceuticals work. In Chinese medicine, we Mm -hmm. would try to do something to regulate the body so that your blood pressure goes back to normal. So, decreasing too much yang and increasing your yin to balance your body. And when I look at the research about CBD oils, I feel like it, it is on that Chinese medicine principle. Like it's not just going to um, do one thing like a pharmaceutical that may affect negatively another part of your body. It works on the whole system to kind of regulate everything and keep you in balance
3: yeah i don't i I don't know a whole lot about chinese medicine other than it fascinates me mm-hmm. um but it's actually in that literature that we first hear about cannabis to begin with i want to say something like twenty seven hundred b c mm-hmm. um you know we are have some chinese emperor i'll mess it up if I try to remember his name <laughs> <laughs> but, but he began to 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 document different kinds of um plant remedies and things of that nature and it's it's actually mm-hmm. the first documentation of cannabis as medicine is right. in that Chinese medicine uh, yeah. literature so that's fascinating.
2: Yeah and now um, so we know how it can help our pets and animals why now Greenflower, one of the things I really like about your company is the, that um, first of all all your CBD oil is from hemp that's grown free of pesticides on family farms in the United States. Because one of the things that I always worry about when you're looking at CBD oil is, do you know where it comes from? And, um, also, there's also the possibility of heavy metal contamination and pesticide contamination. So, uh, so can you explain a little bit about how you've sourced your CBD oil?
3: Sure. Um, we, of course, um, I, I think maybe one of the more important things to know about us is that we kind of were drug into the business um,
5: mm-hmm.
3: and, and, and all for personal, very serious personal medical reasons. And so the thing that motivates us every day as a company, uh, it truly is to help people. And in the quest to do that, uh, we take where we source our hemp from as well as how and particular standards that we follow in formulating our products, we take that very seriously. And so, you know, first step is uh, hemp is a bioaccumulator. So whatever is in the soil ends up in what you're ingesting. Mm -hmm. Um, So it has to be pesticide-free and and grown to the highest standards. We'd love to call it organic, um, but all those standards and things aren't kind of worked out totally yet. Mm -hmm. Um, But the products are all source pesticide-free, and uh, beyond that, they go through a third-party lab test um, from, the, uh, from the supplier. But also, once it hits us and our custody chain, uh, it goes to a third-party lab. And every product has a lab report showing the, pe- the various uh, pesticides and heavy metals, molds, fungus, all of those mm-hmm. kinds of things.
2: Oh, uh, that's great. To be 100%. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, because you free. don't know. You can't tell those things from the label, you know.
3: <laughs> no, and you can't, and honestly, you can't tell them either on, on our end when mm-hmm. you're receiving, you know, the, ex, the raw extracts and things of that nature. Um, yeah. And so there's all kinds of reasons something dangerous might be, um, mm-hmm. you know, in an, ex, in an extract or a plant and even growing with the best standards, it should all be uh, tested and just to make sure that what we're doing is, you know, promoting promoting health, not taking it the other way around.
2: <laughs> right, right. Now, um, I know that some people have the question about uh, why, what, why, what is CBD oil, hemp oil, and and then there's also things on the market that are much cheaper that are like CBD oil from hemp seeds. Is there a difference between those
3: yeah. sure you can't get CBD from hemp seed number one so
2: mm-hmm.
3: um, i've not I've not seen that, but um, you can extract CBD from the flower and you can extract CBD from the stalk of a hemp plant, mm-hmm. uh, but you cannot extract it from the seed so hemp seed oil has its own benefits and things, um, but it's a really different animal than cBD oil
2: mm-hmm. And then you also have full-spectrum CBD oil. What's the difference between that and the isolate?
3: Well, and again, another point that we're really dedicated to, um, when you isolate a compound out of a plant, you're kind of following the uh, big pharma recipe book to the T. They find something beneficial in nature, and then they want to take it out, isolate it, and charge us a a fortune for it. (laughs) But the thing that gets missed there, which you'll obviously be able to appreciate in Chinese medicine, is that that CBD is bonded to a whole lot of other synergistic compounds. So in our world, we call it the entourage effect, which Mm -hmm. is kind of the sum total of all these parts working in concert together because that's how they're found in nature. So full spectrum means it's a whole plant extract so that when we pull the extract out, and not only does it have CBD in it, but it has other minor cannabinoids, CBN, CBDA, uh, so forth, CBG, uh, flavonoids, and uh, of course, terpenoids. All this found fatty acids, you know, essential oils, and all that found inside this wonderful plant. So we, as of now, we only sell uh, full-spectrum products. Mm-hmm. We may carry an isolate, But in the future, it would only be for reasons of of product demand. But at the end of the day, if you're going to move towards CBD oil um, for healing purposes, we believe the best thing you can do is to get a really nice full-spectrum oil that has all the different cannabinoids and terpenoids that are found bonded with the whole plant in nature.
0: Okay, is there a difference difference (laughs) between this for humans and this for animals, or is it the same oil?
3: Absolutely. Same oil. Okay. Yeah. Because as mammals, we all have this endocannabinoid system. Um, so we, we market our equine line separately for a couple of reasons. One, it helps simply with product selection. Um, and then secondly, if we're dealing with horses, uh, these are much larger animals than most humans. So there tends to be a need for larger volume. You know the
0: product, and you probably use the drops as opposed to them vaping because that's probably not an option. (laughs) Uh, Although my probably probably we have an
3: instructional. (laughs) Yeah, we have an instructional video coming out on how to teach your horse how to vape. Um, But so far, so far, (laughs) so far, something's been good for those uh, funny video shows. Um, But anyway, we're still working on that. But yeah, unfortunately, you're still (laughs) you're stuck with the oil.
2: Now, we do have to say one thing uh, about uh, CBD oil. It does contain a very, very low amount of THC, right? So Yes, it does. Um, but it's not going to get you high, and it's not going to make the horses feel drugged. But that being said, um, it, it, you still shouldn't use it if you're competing under zero tolerance drug rules, Right.
3: Yes, I would say that's correct, and uh, we were discussing that earlier. And um, uh, you want to give yourself it, you know, your your animal at least a week or two weeks absence from the product. Um, but yeah, we're we're trying to study that out and really find um, you know what those what they're really looking for as far as the. Um, uh, percentages by weight and those kinds of things, but mm-hmm. but the best we can do right now is say no. If you're competing, your best to um, eliminate that from your horse's diet, you know, for a few weeks.
2: And um, Roger, how can people find you?
3: Well, they can go on the internet to uh, GreenFlowerBotanicals.com, and uh, there's an incredible amount of information there. One of the things I'll say about our website is um, we've spent um, an awful lot of time curating um, the best research that we can get our hands on. And so if you go there and you're looking for CBD for your horse or CBD for yourself or a specific condition, chances are good uh, you may be able to find the up-to-date research, if there is any, um, surrounding that particular condition. And there's all kinds of um, information on how to dose and and a much more thorough treatment of what CBD oil is and how it might uh, benefit uh, your animal uh, more so than I was able to, to give today.
2: And and they um, don't need a doctor's prescription uh, to order anything. They can order right off your site, right?
3: Yep, they sure can. Um, so we shift to all 50 states. There's no prescription um, needed. And we obviously do recommend... Um, that if you can to work uh, as close uh, with your um, uh, veterinarian as you can uh, so that it uh, gives you that um, guidance and their, their knowledge as well as um, helping them see and help us all to kind of see how CBD um, may be effective in certain areas or not in, in other areas. So we always encourage you to uh, involve your veterinarian.
2: Right. This is one time when, if my clients come to me and say, "Well, I read it on the internet," I will not be aggravated with them. Because <laughs> there's a lot of good information. There. And um, you have a? Do you have can, a?
3: <laughs>
2: you know that happens, right?
3: <laughs> uh, well, I'm just saying. I can only imagine it. You know, I can only imagine what you must go through.
2: <laughs> and uh, Roger, you have a coupon for our listeners too, right?
3: Of course I do. Uh, it is HRN uh, for Horse Radio Network. I got that right, correct? Yep.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, okay. So the coupon is simply, you can go to our website. Once you go to the checkout page, use HRN in the coupon code section, and uh, I'm going to give you 20% off oh,
0: wow. of
3: your entire order.
0: Oh, and that's wow. whether it's for oh. people or animals or anything.
3: It really is. The coupon works for people and animals you know so i don't know if your horse will be able to type that in but
2: <laughs> you know i've been using your um your cream your your cbd oil cream for my elbow i have tennis elbow and it has really okay. helped me a ton you know it made such a difference oh that's great yeah so i use it every morning i'm um,
3: great to hear it. yeah so
2: thank yeah, you yeah so we
3: put 3 months into that product and we have a lot of um uh, a lot of great new topicals um coming out And and hope to do even some formulations with some other botanicals as well and some blends. But thanks for sharing that. We're real happy with that product.
2: Yeah, great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, and I hope you come back again soon. Last month, we previewed the Black Prong auction, and we all had questions about who was going to buy it and what would happen going forward.
0: And what developer was going to destroy it and put in a thousand (laughs) houses and all of that.
2: Well, Glenn, that didn't happen. Luckily for us, local Ocala equestrians, Reed and Sarah Nagel of Big Lick Farm, have taken the reins, and they plan to continue with lodging in equestrian events. Yes. And Reed and Sarah are no strangers to providing equestrians with luxury accommodations, as their 100-acre Big Lick Farm in Morrison, Florida has over 240 stalls. They cater to thoroughbred training. They have turf and dirt tracks, plus a Eurowalker, swimming ponds, and other sports rehab and training equipment. So that sounds exciting over there. And welcome, Reed. It's so nice to have you here, and congratulations on your new farm.
1: Oh, Thank you. We're, uh, we're very excited to... Um... Uh, to bring it into our fold.
2: Um, so h- how did this all happen? Had you heard the Black Prong was for sale or was it the excitement of the auction or how did you get into this?
1: Um, uh, Black Prong is, uh, is located midway between where Sarah and I live and where we work. Um, mm-hmm. It's about uh, four miles from each location. So we drive by it. Uh, at least twice a day, or if we make a mistake at work, four times a day. <laughs> um, so uh, it was pretty apparent it was it was for auction. So, and we'd always been admirers of it. It's such a beautiful setting. We our home is on the Gothi Forest, um, and we do a lot of trail riding back there um, mm-hmm. on weekends when we have an occasional afternoon off. So the the thought of of uh, uh, of the black prong equestrian facility with its 53,000 acre, um, go forest backyard was, was pretty enticing.
2: Right. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, the go and you know, how, how vast it is. So that must've been really exciting for this opportunity to come up. But, um, what did you, and you're, I mean, you have people stay all the time at the training barn, but what did you think about the whole resort type of atmosphere?
1: Um, Well, um, it was a lot of fun when we drove by in the the height of the activities there, and the carriages were on both sides of the road, and Mm -hmm. um, the place was filled with RVs. And so it looked like a lot of fun. And we do have a property management business already, Mm -hmm. and we have very capable people involved there. So I thought, okay, this will ratchet up a, a rung, and we'll try to take that on.
2: Um, and so what do you plan on going for the future? Do you want to have the same carriage shows or are you going to expand to other things?
1: Um, well, we definitely want to continue the tradition um, that Alan and Maureen have built up there. Um, it's pretty remarkable what they've done with mm-hmm. that facility. Um, uh, Sarah and I are not um, combined um, drivers and, and probably won't become so, but we did go for first carriage ride with uh, uh, with Alan and Marine and and oh, Mark great. Johnson last mm-hmm. week. Um, so certainly want to continue the traditions they built there, um, and you know things will change a little bit because we don't have the same expertise that the current owners do. So we want to continue their tradition, but. Yeah, we'll we'll try to make some some changes and some investment in the property that hopefully will get done by next season that um that folks who've been going there for a long time will appreciate.
2: hmm And so you said you're not you're not carriage drivers, but we always say as carriage drivers, you're not carriage drivers yet because you went <laughs> in the carriage last week with Mark and Alan and Maureen. Did they take you through the hazards?
1: Uh We went through some of the hazards. Um, uh, We didn't go full tilt like they do in some of the events um, since our since our our inaugural expedition. But um, they didn't want to
0: scare the crap out of them right away. We can do that later.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so so we're
3: excited.
0: And I know they were trying to do a lot more local events to concerts and, you know, festivals and things like that. Is that something, because you live there anyway in that community, is that something you'd like to see happen?
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Any, um, any kind of cultural event or equine event or animal event um, that, you know, um, would be a great addition to the facility. And particularly during the off-season, um, when, when it gets less utilization, that would be a great thing to do.
2: Well, I think the two biggest problems that equestrian centers usually have is they lack space and then it's hard to, you know, market it uh, to people. And I think you already have that already in with black prong with the huge ghosty forest. And it's such a popular venue anyways, amongst the horse community. So I am just really looking forward to seeing what you guys do with it in the future.
1: Well, thank you very much. We're, um, we'll, uh, uh, open to any any form of suggestion and um um we want to make sure it gets maximum utilization and brings as many people from the community out there
0: as possible well i'm excited And how can people find oops, well sorry. one other thing i'm very excited too with the world equestrian center coming here and with you guys maintaining this property i think that ocala is going you know in the future is going to be the place to be you know, like they talk about Wellington now, they're going to be talking about Ocala in the future, uh, because Uh, there's going to be so many venues, you know, in addition to the World Equestrian Center, we're going to have so many different types of venues that it's just, well, you know, you're living in this area, land prices around the World Equestrian Center here in Ocala, if you have a small farm, they've gone up 25 to 50%. It's incredible, and I think that's only going to increase and only going to become better for all of us.
1: Absolutely, and I think a lot of the A lot of the equestrian events are going to move out in this direction um, because Ocala is um, obviously the World Equestrian Center is bringing a lot of attention, but it's getting very expensive there. And as you move sort of north and northwest out of Ocala, there's more open space and it's more reasonably priced. Um, That's certainly the case with a lot of the thoroughbred training centers. It's getting very pricey in Ocala, and a lot of those are, are shutting down and moving out in this direction. And with the Gothy Forest, and um, you know, it's primarily a, an equestrian facility, a massive equestrian facility. That'll um, there's lots of opportunity for that to happen.
2: Well, Reed, congratulations again to you and Sarah. We're really looking forward to seeing what's ahead. And how can people get in touch with you or find out more?
1: Uh, well, they can. Um, we have two websites right now: um, BlackProng.com which we'll we'll assume once the transaction closes in a couple of weeks, um, uh, uh, biglick.com, or they could email me at reed at biglick.com. It's R-E-I-D, or my wife, Sarah, at biglick.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'd love love to have your input and any suggestions people have.
2: Well, great. Thanks so much for
0: joining us.
1: Okay, well, super. Thanks, Thanks, Wendy. Thanks, Glenn.
0: All right, we'll talk to you soon.
2: well glenn you know being a member of the american driving society is more than just getting the whip i know you think it's just about getting the magazine
0: yes it's the great magazine they put out
2: (laughs) well the whip is great and so is the omnibus but you know what else you can get what's that you can get a million dollars in excess liability insurance through Equisture. Before that was something that you could only get when you were in like uh, the USEF or yeah. certain breed groups, and now the American Driving Society is also offering that. When you're when you're doing anything with horses, there's always a chance that you're going to get sued, right? Because horses are unpredictable, and they can you know bash in somebody's car, or they can
0: or you could be the- in a parade in Kentucky and try and run, run some children kid. over. Yes. I know exactly so what, if what your you horse, mean.
2: What if your horse gets loose and runs down a golf course? Yes. <laughs> and they charge you by the footprint.
0: <laughs> Jennifer had that happen, the one place she lived. <laughs> she didn't tell me <laughs> exactly. <was> her horse. <laughs> so you
2: need a million dollars because those footprint marks cost a lot of money. So what you can do is if you're an ADS member. Um, it costs $25 a person or $45 for the family. And then that you have a million-dollar excess liability Insurance policy, so that's a great rate for that. Um, and you just need to be a member of the ADS in good standing, and um, you can go to the ADS website to find all that information. It's under uh, me- under the members tab, excess liability. That's a
0: really good rate, actually. <laughs> Well, as most of you know, we've had Jennifer and I have had greyhounds forever. We have my greyhound is laying right here underneath me now, and she's eleven years old and her name is Glory and she's blind. She she went blind about two years ago, but she gets around just fine. And she goes to work with me every day because they're loyal like that, and she loves her daddy and she loves going to work. On weekends, she hates weekends because I don't go into the office and don't go to the <laughs> studio and don't go to work. It messes up her routine. But they're wonderful, wonderful dogs. This is our third one. And there's something happening in Florida that we discussed before, but I wanted to go over it because times are running out. And we have Scott Compton of Gold Coast Greyhounds on here with us. And we have him on this particular episode, The Driving Show, because of Wendy being here. And She's a veterinarian, and she's also dealt with a lot of greyhounds and also lives in Florida. So we're going to have this situation. So, Scott, thank you for joining us, and I appreciate you stopping by.
5: Oh, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate the
0: time. So tell everybody why we're talking about this now. It was a a law that was adopted here in Florida and is going to really change things and is going to cause a lot of dogs to need homes.
5: Yeah. You know, it was amendment 13 that passed back in November and, um, it's, it's, it's going to cause all the tracks to be basically they're decoupling, uh, gambling from racing and they're going to outlaw racing altogether by the end of next year 2020 and there's approximately we don't always have good numbers because they don't give us accurate numbers on the racetracks as far as how many dogs there are because when they're inactive they don't count them so if they're inactive for a week we don't really have that accurate number so we have anywhere from between eight until eight and 12,000 dogs out there on the tracks in Florida right now that are going to need homes. And that's, and one of the big question marks is what about the dogs that have been farmed up until this point of when they, when the amendment passed, you know, there were puppies that have just been born in October or November that are being set up to never race. So it's, it's getting, it's going to be a tricky, uh, tricky situation coming up in the in the very near future
0: well now will some of those hounds end up going to other states or are there such a glut in other states that they're just not going to go
5: well it's the problem with that is that there's 11 tracks here in florida and there's only five other tracks active in the in the rest of the country so to absorb they already you know most of those tracks already have uh Their own dogs, and now some of them don't race full time, so they may adopt that type of attitude where they race more often. however, in Iowa, you really they don't really race in the winter um so that's the situation nor should yeah. they they're really yeah right, it's too cold <laughs> no. they
2: need sweaters oh
5: and yeah, and, and booties the, you know, yeah, definitely booties too, and the greyhounds with with his little fur and little uh body fat on them as they have, the cold is really, it's, it's not easy for them. I mean, they, they love being out in the snow and they love the cold, but you need to bundle them up when they are out there. I know we used to live in Chicago and we had our greyhounds up there too. And, uh, it's, it's a different environment, but anyway, the, we're just going to have to, um, find a way to, to funnel these dogs to a lot of different areas as far as other rescues and other States too. Cause I just don't think the Florida rescues can handle that kind of influx. In a short amount of time.
0: I didn't realize we had 11 tracks. I, I, that's more than yeah. I thought. Neither. Yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that. It,
5: that's the tough part. It's Does it's this a effectively
0: lot of mean the end of Greyhound racing in the United States? I think down the road, yes. Hmm. I do. You know, people ask me, and I've had this uh, for, through the years, and they're always shocked at my response, and then I get in arguments with people. I yeah. got in an argument the other day at Live Oak with, with a greyhound rescue person. Yeah. And they ask me, well, I guess you're, you're happy to see greyhound racing go away, and I, say, I always say no, because it's these dogs are different than the purebred show greyhounds. They're different yes, they dogs, and I like these dogs. I like their attitudes. I like you know that they had they were bred for a purpose for racing, whether you believe in that or not. That's what they were bred for, and I right. just liked the fact that these dogs existed. And of course, then they argue, well, they'll keep breeding these dogs, and uh, no, they won't. <laughs> There's, you know, no, they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna end
5: up being a different breed. Yeah, I mean, they're exactly, gonna end up, they're gonna be, they're gonna end up changing because they're gonna. They're not going to be bred in the same sense for the same reason. That's I mean, right. These dogs, these dogs that come off the track are completely different than the AKC. Explain
0: uh, why breed. people don't believe it when people that don't know about greyhounds don't believe there's a difference, and that's where you know that's where these arguments <laughs> then you know get heated. Um, what is the difference between the two?
5: From what I know, it's just what what breed what, what the AKC is looking for, the pro pro side of things, the show side of things. They're different. They're looking for different aspects of of the uh, anatomy of the dog, you know, Uh, the biology of the dog, the better teeth. And that's (laughs) that's a whole another, you know, that's a whole other topic. Bad teeth and greyhounds. Um, And but that's in the that's in the racing area. So they're just bred totally differently to accent different parts of of their anatomy.
0: Wendy, do you have any experience with the two? differences between the two well i
2: think you know with the show greyhounds they focus on different parts of their confirmation whatever may be in fashion Mm -hmm. for confirmation of that time but so it's like breeding horses so thoroughbred racehorses look different than warm blood horses or you know like the
0: or uh, uh halter arabs. Th- halter quarter horses with yes, no that's feet. Exactly. yeah that's exactly yeah
2: quarter horses or halter arabs with that very distinct jibba yeah. versus performance arabs so so i think in the racing um lines you probably see a lot more focus on performance or like glenn your dog i mean look at the amount of muscle that dog has on her mm-hmm. <laughs> right even as an old girl So they focus more on performance, which probably the racing lines are better at things like lure coursing or, um, you know, people that want to do some sport with their dog. Rather than the the
0: confirmation dog. Well, and and everybody that listens to this program knows my feeling about the slippery slope and the snowball run, rolling down the hill. Once you know, once they are the greyhounds aren't racing anymore, then they're going to go after the thoroughbreds, and they're they're going to go after whatever sport you have your horse for is next. You know, it may not be the first they go after. They'll do fox hunting, and then they'll do they'll they'll keep trying to get rid of racing, and then they're going to the rodeo sports will go, and pretty soon you're not going to be able to do anything with your horse you're not even gonna be allowed to ride it and people you know doubted me when i said that 10 years ago but look at the direction we've come in that 10 years right wendy i mean we're mm-hmm. heading that direction um yeah. and that's why i was so sad i don't know how you feel scott but um uh, that's why i was kind of sad to see this happen i don't know you know
5: I'm i'm kind of torn because sometimes i i don't like the way the the ownership of of the racing greyhounds goes because they don't really contribute enough money now i know that there is a percentage of of owners and, and track owners that uh, contribute money back to some rescues. Okay. There's a percentage. There's not, but the percentage of, of the dogs that come off the track that go to rescues that are solely relied, relying on their own fundraising capabilities. That's what really frustrates me. Mm. You know, they make, they make money off of these, these dogs. I, I walked into, I went to uh, Derby lane, which is one down here in St. Pete. And I um, I was, in the, in the back where they keep all the dogs in the kennels. And one of the, the ladies that works there showed me this one dog. I can't remember the dog's name, but it just won a $20,000 purse. Okay. Now a lot of greyhounds. Yeah. That's a huge, that's yeah. a huge win, right? You tell me how you can't take some of that money and put it towards the dog's, uh, retirement. You know, if it's making you that much money, you got to put that money aside as an owner. It's the right thing to do. So well, that that's where it gets that. That's the frustrating part of, of dog racing for me. Well, and, um, and then I, I still, I still agree with you guys that I think there's part of that breed is going to go away. And some of the personality is going to go away. Um And yeah, the, it's, it is a slippery slope.
0: <laughs> well, and we're, you know, we're seeing that in third bread <laughs> racing. Now we're seeing a lot yeah. more owners stepping up to, for aftercare stuff, you know, which we never saw 10 years ago. Uh, and then, of course, you know, then the the PETAs and everybody else will bring up the bad trainers, and there's always examples of that. But that's true of any human thing you do. There's bad coaches well. in soccer. There's, you know, it doesn't yep. matter. There You know, there's bad and good and all of that. So I, I kind of discount that a little bit, and you try and work to get them out. Right. So let's go to where the problem is now. So now we've got all of these greyhounds that have been racing, the thousands of maybe even 10,000 of them, that are going to need homes in the next year. Um, how... I can tell you why we like greyhounds, and then you can, Scott, you can tell me why you like them. We like them because of their temperament. They really are 30-mile-an-hour couch potatoes. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> if you take them out to run, if you got a space, and you should have a space to let them run uh, once or twice a week, even three times a week, ours would run maybe, we, we could run her every day, and she didn't want to. She would run maybe three days a week, where mm. she'd go out and just do laps around the big fields here at the farm, and it's so much fun to watch. I, I miss that because we can't do that with her anymore but uh, you know that and they're quiet there's a the, we've never had one that barked <laughs> usually yeah. if they bark they learn it from another yappy dog in the house um yeah but we've never had they're just the sweetest kindest dogs we've ever had i don't know yeah, why do you absolutely. like
5: them? <laughs> i'm sorry um my wife fell in love with them back uh when we were living up north at one of the one of the meet and greets it was at a local pet smart and she said, this is the sweetest dog I've ever met, you know? And so that personality really came out for us. Um, And we've had four. Now we have two right now. We had two that passed already. Um, And the two that we have now are Bella and Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne (laughs) has a, has a Bruce Wayne has like a Batman thing on his head. So we had to call him Bruce Wayne. It's just, it's very fitting for him. So, um, but he's actually a, a, like, not a barker as in barking at everything that goes by, but if somebody approaches the door, he actually lets out this nice big two or Oof. three bark. <laughs> so it's, it, my wife is like, well, that's kind of comforting. You know, they actually, maybe he can be kind of a potential guard dog, not really in the guard dog sense, but you know, just let people no, know. Because hey, as soon as they came in the door, he'd lick them to yeah. death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Once you get past that door, yeah, yeah, it's all about just, just love me. So, yeah, they're just they're their personalities. are just so incredible. Um and Bruce is the sweetest thing. Bella is a little more playful. She she likes to uh she does the zoomies out in the backyard and uh has destroyed our backyard, so. <laughs> but but that's just one of the things. Um I was listening to um a great uh a Greyhound podcast. They're up in Maryland and they were talking about the things that you need to know before you get a before you adopt a Greyhound and that's that's just be prepared to let your yard go, you know, your your backyard, give it over to them and let them do their track, make their own track out of it. So that's what kind of happened. But they that's, that's what part of, you know, greyhound ownership is. And that's totally cool with us. I don't need a yard. I need a dog.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so what's going to happen here? You work with Gold Coast Greyhound adoptions. You know, how many hounds will you have at any given time now? And what's that going to look like in the next year?
5: Okay, so last year, um, we did a count. We, we adopted out roughly 100 dogs last year from, from 1-1 to twelve thirty one. 31 And this year, to date, as of yesterday, we did a count, and we have adopted 50 out. So we're, we're way ahead of the game right now. We're doing good on numbers. Um, we have anywhere from oh, 5 to 15 fosters in the system right now. As of yesterday, we have 15 dogs that are in foster homes. Um, some, some groups are, are lucky enough to have an actual facility where they can keep dogs on on their property in a, in a kennel situation. A um, group I was with a few years ago back up in the Chicago area um, is Greyhounds Only Go. And uh, they have a facility where they have about 30 kennels, so they can keep the fosters there and take care of them as volunteers come into the facility and take care of them. We don't have that. We don't have that luxury. We have every home or every dog has to have a home to uh, be fostered in, which that's what we're going to be looking for the most of probably is foster homes and adoptions down the road, of course. But I think fosters are going to be our biggest uh, our biggest need right off the front end. And
0: money. Uh, yeah, and, money. <laughs> and money, yeah, and money, and money. Somebody has to feed and, and take care of these dogs too. Oh, yeah, we always didn't do so well fostering. We failed at that. Um, so
5: Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne was our first. Actually, yeah, see, first you fail. failed too. We,
0: yeah, that was our first.
5: <laughs> that was our first fail. We he was our number seventeen foster, um, and we just had eighteen and nineteen recently. So
0: I, I think you need a greyhound <laughs> at the farm down there, Wendy.
2: No, I have chickens, and they are sight hounds. <laughs>
5: yes, they are, and they, they yeah, they might go after the
0: chickens,
2: yeah, having a jack Russell' is bad enough
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you lost a few ducks and chickens that way, so <laughs> let me ask you, um as far as health is concerned, you know I'm going to ask you all the questions people usually get when they're adopting a dog, mm-hmm. so how are they usually health wise
5: um overall, they're pretty healthy, you know they they have a tendency to have bad teeth because of the, their diet coming off the track. They have a lot; of, it's a very, very high protein diet when they're on the track, and it doesn't give them it doesn't give them something something to. I, I don't know, Wendy might know more about this, uh, but there's something missing in their diet that gives them uh, a good teeth, a higher rate of good teeth or of bad teeth. You know, they have a, they have a tendency to just have bad teeth. Do you know what um, that is, Wendy?
2: Oh, for greyhound? Yeah, yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know what that is. Okay.
5: Oh, really? Hmm. Yeah, it's it's pretty common, I mean, it's one of the first things that we get done right off the right when we take them off the track is a is a dental.
0: If they're interested in the greyhound where they live, anywhere in the country, what's the best thing to do?
5: Um, anywhere in the country? Well, I mean, you can start by calling us, even if even if you're in a different part of the country, we we have a a network that you can that you can uh, that we can access and. You know, reach out to different states or whatnot, but our number, our phone number is is seven
0: two seven. Run fast. All you have to do is Google Greyhound adoption and put your state in, and you'll find you'll find the ones that are local to you. There's they're all listed there. And we used one out of Louisville uh, when we we lived in Kentucky and got Glory. That was out of Louisville. If you're looking for a a dog in the next year, keep in mind there's going to be a lot of them coming to market here, and are going to need homes. So. Thank you, Scott. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it.
6: And away they go, it's a pretty level start. Number two is one away. Ballyback Boxcar showing real good early pace. This local runner followed around her bend by rural Hawaii. Now number one, Paradise Maverick, the big finisher, is in third. He's a big threat to them all. Leading down the far side is Ballyback Boxcar in front. Being challenged in second by Rural Hawaii. Here comes Paradise Maverick trying to get the inside onto the final bend. Ballyback Boxcar still in front. Moves a little wide, and there goes Paradise Maverick up the inside. Faro Joy finishing fast. But the winner is Paradise Maverick. The veteran performer comes through to win it. The time is 2961. He was a four-to-one chance. So we have
2: Katie Cadwell from Tremont Farm joining us for the Tremont training tip. Katie and her sister Miranda train driving horses and ponies at Tremont Farm in Southern Pines, North Carolina. Welcome, Katie. Hi, Wendy. Hi, Glenn. Hello. Kitty, we missed you last is, month.
6: We, we realize you have to work sometimes. I know. And you're missing this super sunny, beautiful weather. And you just missed the four-in-hand drive with all the champagne flowing, Wendy. I know. I'm very you sad. Know what? I, saw the,
2: I saw the pictures, and I have to say, the four-in-hand drive in Southern Pines has to be by far my favorite equestrian event. It is so fun. Not only because you're driving and you're having fun with your friends and your horses and the champagne, of course. But this time of year in Southern Pines is so incredibly beautiful with everything blooming. It's just like a magical little town.
6: I know we're getting there. The dogwoods and the azaleas and the wisterias coming in. It's it's super spring around here.
2: It's super spring. And you have this Southern Pines CDE coming up soon, right? We
6: do in 10 days the national championships for the ponies.
2: Oh my gosh. That's going to
6: be fun. Okay. So what's our tip for this month? Do you have an exciting tip for us? I think we're going to talk about carriages and harness and making sure that our harness fits our pony or horse properly.
2: Yeah. I think that's probably when people start driving, that's the number one thing that they struggle with.
6: Sure. Because everyone thinks, well, it's a saddle even though it's a driving right. saddle, that means you have to put it on super tight so it doesn't move. And like our driving <laughs> horses, we actually give them a little extra room. Right. And then making sure that the breastplate is at a proper level for the horses to pull. All
2: right, let's, so let's start in the beginning.
6: So when the first
2: thing we put on when we're driving, what's the first thing we put on when we're harnessing?
6: We put on the breastplate first. And you want to make sure it's set at a level that's below their windpipe but still Mm -hmm. up on their chest that it's not, you don't want it to slop down and pull on their front legs because that's not good because the horses, that's where they pull from is from their chest.
4: Right.
2: Or, or sometimes I see it a little bit low and it's on their the point of their shoulder and anybody that's had any kind of shoulder injury knows that can be really painful if you have something pressing on your shoulder like that.
6: Well, yes, it's uncomfortable for the horse, and again, think that's where they're pulling it from is from the chest, so we want it at a very comfortable level below their windpipe that goes straight back to the saddle, which is the next thing we put on.
2: okay, so how do i how does it differ fitting the saddle for a harness versus a saddle for that we're gonna ride in?
6: So the saddle that you ride in, you put a little further forward, you want to actually think about putting the saddle of the harness about where the seat goes mm-hmm. of a ridden saddle. So you want to let it settle back a little bit. And then again, you also have to think we don't have to sit on that saddle. So we don't need mm-hmm. it so tight that we're balancing on top of it. We can give the horses a little air to breathe and room for their ribs to expand. So you put the the girth on you put the false martingale from the breastplate on and you'll see the Mm -hmm. breastplate comes straight back to the saddle. Nice line. And then you put the girth on, but it doesn't have to be tight. Even for a single, it doesn't have to be tight. That is not what keeps everything on is the saddle being tight. Right.
2: So like if you can fit your hand in there, a flat hand in there, that's okay.
6: That is just fine. And then your horse will be very happy.
2: Um, I also don't,
6: Oh, go ahead. I don't do up uh, the girth until I have the crupper on. Because I feel like if you try to do the the girth up and then put the crupper on, you're pulling on their tail. So we tend to do the crupper up and the back strap and then do the girth up so that you aren't pulling their tail up. Mm -hmm. I also run with very loose back strap because when a horse engages properly and raises their back, you need to give them room to do that. So, we can't have yeah. the crupper super tight.
2: You know, that's a huge thing that I see that really bothers me because maybe in the olden days when we used to check them up and not have them use their back, it was okay to have a crupper that was tight. I mean, not okay, but you know, accepted. Uh, But if you're asking a horse to round over his back and then the back strap's too tight and you give them this huge wedgie on their tail, like that would stop me from going round. So why would we do that to horses?
6: You can actually interfere with them wanting to go round. When they raise Mm -hmm. up and like you said, they get a wedgie, it's not nice. And they're going to hit that and then flatten out the back again. So we want to keep that loose and bouncing so they can raise up their backs. I have even seen people put elastic in them. Yeah,
2: I like that little elastic strap. You can just, it has like double clips and you can clip it right on the back of the saddle and then clip it to your back strap.
6: I like that. Yeah, it's a super good idea and it allows uh, more freedom for the horse. We even sometimes use uh, girds that have elastic on them too. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, also with too tight of a back strap, I think sometimes you see the saddle tip backwards. It doesn't sit flat. And then you have like a lot of pressure right at the back of the saddle pad. And sometimes you even see atrophy on the back there.
6: Uh, yes. And I would think that you as a um, acupuncturist and an herbalist would really <laughs> understand that, that the harness can be uncomfortable for them. And right. we're, we're asking them to pull us and other people and a carriage. We need to make it the most comfortable it can be for them to pull. So we need to keep our sh- the shoulders clear, the line of draft straight, which is where the, the traces go from the shoulder to the carriage. That should be a straight line, not a broken line. Absolutely oh, yeah. Let's straight, talk about almost that following your shaft.
2: We should talk about that from the breast collar kind of situation. Like what if I put my harness on and I have my, my breast collar in the right position on the horse's body, but then it's like a sharp angle to my carriage. My traces kind of take a little turn. They're not straight. What, what do I need? What do I have adjusted wrong there? How do I fix
6: that? So you're going to need to lower your tug strap so that it doesn't pull your trace or the end of your breastplate upwards. We want to keep Mm -hmm. a straight line from the shoulder. So you want to make sure that the strap that hangs down, whether it is in a pair, it's a tug strap, or if it it is actually the tug loop that holds the shaft up, you want to make sure that isn't pulling the trace upward so that when you put it on and step back and look, you actually see a straight line.
0: How um much, and much? did we answer how much ahead. room between the horse's butt and the and the cart?
6: Yes, you do not want your your carriage up against your horse's tail. That is not comfortable. But is and there, again, no. when we talk about in, engaging their body and using their hocks, you don't want the the swingle tree or the carriage right there when their hocks come up. Right. So how far There isn't there Is there a magic there distance? There is an ADS rule. Okay. There is an ADS rule about how what the distance is.
2: I think it's 18 inches is the minimum. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. if you're closer than that, you know, you can get a, um, they're not going to give you a yellow card for it, but it's, a, you know, you're, you shouldn't have them. eighteen you will inches have because to, they can hit the carriage. You, you will have, have to move your carriage them. out. Yeah. Yes. And also you have to think about when you're turning, especially like with combined driving, if you're galloping, their body lengthens. You know, so you standing in the aisle, it might look okay, but think about when they're really flat out galloping that, that you want to be, uh, even though we do want a short distance in the hat, in the, in, for your setup in for turning tight in the hazards that your horse is going to expand his body to take a great big stride. So you have to give space for him to do that.
6: Yes, that's right. That's Again, think about the hawks coming up. And even if you think about how a racehorse runs, you know how they flatten out and lengthen? That's mm-hmm. exactly what you're talking about. And that is just what we ask our driving horses to do in hazards. They need to lengthen their bodies and then bring them back, all of which involves using their hind end as their motor. So we don't want to impede that by having them too close to the carriage. Or here's another one, the shab's too narrow. Oh, that's a huge pet peeve of mine. Nobody likes to get poked in the ribs. No, you need to have the, and the modern carriages are so much better at this, at leaving a large width. They make the shafts almost as wide as the front of the carriage Mm -hmm. so that the horse has room to turn within the shafts without hitting something. And again, when you're asking for a proper bend, the horse is C-shaped. So if you have tight shafts, they're not going to be able to bend.
2: Yeah. But when you watch people doing like in those old fashioned carriages, some of them are so narrow that they can't bend, but they weren't expected to. They didn't think about these things back then.
6: No, their outside hip would hit the outside shaft and the inside mm-hmm. shaft will go into their, you know, shoulder or their gut. It's just, you need to give them so much, the more space you can give them, the better. Yeah.
2: I kind of always imagined that I wanted to set up my, the my, set so wanted to set up my harness and carriage with the horse so that he could use his body and they were just floating there. The minimum amount of pressure on their body.
6: That is the ideal situation because then we can get the most from them and they're the happiest, which is our goal is for them to be the happiest. They'll perform the best.
2: And you know what? Another big issue people have is uh, the, the, Britching strap. They never know where exactly that should be, how to ha- how it should hang, and then the hip straps. Because the hip straps, always when you're talking about acupuncture, they always seem to go over this really important acupuncture point that's the master point for the hind limb.
0: I agree with not knowing
6: how low they're supposed to be in the back. Yes, and a lot of people look like they have droopy drawers on. Mm-hmm. Or they have it up under the tail. You just yeah. want to look for that... Look at where your traces are, and then you can find a spot on the butt that's above. You want to get above the hawk, above the curve, and then get up into what is actually the the butt cheeks because that is where your brakes are. But also, Mm -hmm. it doesn't need to be super tight because if your carriage is set properly, your shafts on your saddle will work as a brake also. So you don't need necessarily for the britching to be so tight that they're squeezed all the time. You want mm-hmm. it to be able to come off and on because it's the same thing. If they use their hocks or extend their body, you don't want it squishing them. Yeah.
2: And also with That's modern a you can use, yeah, you can, we have brakes. <laughs> so you can use your brakes and then you really, the breaching is just uh, like for emergency purposes.
6: Yes. Oh, I drove a carriage yesterday with a four-in-hand that had no brakes, and I kept pushing the floor and wondering where my brakes were. I don't like not having brakes. Me too. Me too. Well, thanks, Katie. That was so
2: informative because I think you really covered a lot. I know a lot of people that are new to driving maybe uh, you know, don't have somebody that can be there with them the first time they put the harness on and they get it out of the box and they're trying to put it on with this picture. And I think you really hit a lot of the, uh, the issues that people deal with. So great
6: tips. What, yeah, what, what are you going to talk the about? pictures next are time? hard to, um, uh, well, Hey, I think we should, um, have people ask some questions. If people have specific questions, I'm happy to answer them for them. Oh, that's a great idea. So, so
2: uh, email us some questions. We can go over some more training tips, and also you're going to have to tell us all about what happened at the pony championships.
0: Oh yes, we will. Well, thank you everybody for joining us. What was the product of the week or month again, Wendy?
2: The product of the month is Body sore.
0: You can find out at drwendyying.com. And tomorrow on the show will be Friday, and we're going to give away our prize. I know we didn't have Friday's last show. We ended up putting the horse husbands in there. So we're going to do some really bad ads, and we're going to give away the $135 pair of boots. So you definitely want to Ooh. tune in to tomorrow's Horses in the Morning. Jamie will be back, and we'll be having a little fun on the show. So tune in then. You can find all the past episodes of The Driving. You just go to drivingradioshow.com. You can find all the episodes Wendy and I have ever done done or you can go to horses and scroll down and you'll see driving banner in the middle of the page click on that and it brings up all the past episodes too we've been doing this for a lot of years probably close to eight or nine now so yeah uh, we're
2: past that point we discussed it we're past yes. the seven year that's right
0: that's so now right. we're stuck with each yeah other. we're stuck with each other <laughs> we're married forever so uh thank you everybody we'll talk to you again tomorrow
2: all right keep this shiny side up